talking about chicken a la king. Mango and garbanzo tabbouleh. Real potatoes and vegetables. With roasted garlic and basil. Zucchini ziti. Granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today, an incredible actor, writer, director, beloved acting coach. He's acted in the shows Without a Trace, Criminal Minds, Gilmore Girls, Windfall, Mad TV, Six Feet Under, and many, many more. He played Agent Burley in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Bleedle Snort in Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. You know he's getting that Comic-Con money. Most importantly, uh, he is a fellow regular at one of our favorite restaurants in L.A. We met, we met as diners um, at Horses. Please welcome the man who has such a handsome beard. It is totally being wasted by being on a podcast. <laughs> Benjamin Davis. Hi, Ben. Dan, how the hell are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. You know, you are an organic restaurant friend. And I have a handful of organic restaurant friends in my life where it was, it, it's just the watering hole that brings us together. Well, it is, it's an important, I think, thing, particularly we both lived in this neighborhood that we both love, I think, for quite some time. And a, a local haunt, when you get lucky enough that your local haunt is as erudite a, a locale as the Pikey once was and as Horses is now, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I have come to know a great many people through my uh, borderline manic insistence on sitting at that uh, one location in, in Hollywood. Anyone who's gone to the restaurant Horses, which is one of the most famous, coolest restaurants in L.A. now, has seen Ben. Ben, uh, basically, they've hot glue gunned his ass to this one <laughs> bar stool at the end. And he's sitting there. He's a fixture. He never leaves, and uh, it's always, uh, you put a smile on my face whenever I walk in and I see you there. Uh, my, my aim was to be, you know, if it's a Cheers uh, paradigm, I always sort of imagine myself as Sam, but I think we're going to have to land at Norm. I would say you're a Norm in the streets, but a Sam in the sheets. Hey! That's what I get that. Let's get that out there. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Um, all right, let's get to your fridge before we get into any more. You guys can I'm so see. concerned about this. I need, it's like I, God damn it, I need <laughs> therapy before I handle you looking at my refrigerator. You get to see Ben's fridge. Everyone gets to see it on my Instagram at StandUpDan. <laughs> this. Oh my God. This is a, this is a, this is a college fridge. This is a college yeah. student fridge. You're a successful actor. You are. <laughs> no. <laughs> you are you you got the blue check mark before people could pay for that. You it's true. You are a you're a man of screen, big, small. You are you, you you're living the dream, but your What's fridge the, is so aspirational. What's amazing to me though is this angle now that I look at it. I can't see any of that shit on the top shelf when I look in there. I don't know oh. what the ages of that mayonnaise. That's 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 gone unattended for a very long time. Okay, so let's just start. Okay, yeah, you you do your thing. I'll shut up. No, you know, there's a lot of condiments. We've got Condiment City. Yes. And first of all, the glaring, the thing that hits my eyes right away, the glaring thing that I see is an omission. Two big booty crispers, completely empty, nothing. No vegetables, oh, no fruits, nothing. That's true. That's not good. All right. Well, we need... <laughs> I can. De- I have a defense. I can defend your, myself. Your, your cheese, your cheese drawer is com- is full to the brim, and it looks like there's cheese on top of the cheese drawer that yes. not that won't even fit in the cheese drawer. But your fruits and vegetable aisle completely empty. What say you? Well, what I say is this. First of all, I never think of that. Is that is that the cheese drawer? Because I think of that as the meat and cheese drawer. So I could be wrong about that. But there's cold cuts in there. There's yeah. cheese in there. The crisper, what I say to it is, and this is a pretty good defense, I don't tend to keep vegetables around long enough that they sit in the fridge. I get them as I need them. I use them as I need them. In, the, in our neighborhood, you know, we've got a farmer's market every Monday. And I happen to live next door to what some people call 
Bristol Farms, and I call uh, the world's most expensive refrigerator. So I typically will get fresh fruits, probably not nearly as often as I should, but I get fresh vegetables as needed. I am honestly a bit surprised that I don't have... Oh, no, no. I know why I don't. Scallions I used to keep in the crisper until somebody let me know that the thing to do with scallions, green onions, uh, is... Leave them on the on the kitchen uh, counter in water, and they and they'll keep they'll stay alive until you use them. First of all, I think you have to pick a lane. Is it scallions or is it green onions? Okay. On the east coast, it's scallions, and on the west coast, it's green onions. Oh, is that true? Is it a regional thing like that? I, that's my understanding. Yeah. Oh, okay. But now, but but here's the, the thing that is now catching my eye, and I got to make sure I do not disturb on. But are these? Uh, Whatever the hell those uh, dole, they buy the pasta sauce in the in the door of the fridge. Prunes. That, prunes. They're never, ever going to, they've never been opened. They're never going to get opened. What they're yeah. doing in there, I have no idea. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, eye can- it's eye candy. It's just pure eye candy for your fridge. It's a decoration. <laughs> By the way, I just realized... Something else in my roasting of you having cheese on two different rows of your fridge. <laughs> cheese is very important. I now see cheese on a third row of your fridge, the top yes, row. And it's the shittiest cheese. Yeah, it's got shitty like taco, <laughs> like processed taco cheese. Two bags of it. Not one. Okay, so Son as, of much a as, bitch. As, as much as you want your little, oh, well, I don't have vegetables because I go to the farmer's market. All right. <laughs> Trying to be highfalutin. I do try to be highfalutin. You have a museum of processed cheese in this fridge, <laughs> and you also you also have me dead to rights too because there's I could see the fake lemon juice as well, which I would normally I would claim I only do this thing. No, that's uh, yellow mustard. Oh, that's mustard. Come on. Oh, here's the fake. That's okay. critical. Yeah, that's the fake lemon juice. Next to your truff, your famous the truff hot sauce. Now truff, I'm a big fan of truff, and that's not that's truff hotter sauce. The yeah. tough hot sauce is not hot enough for me. But no, next to it is the horseradish, which is an essential element of some of my specialties. The other thing that's that disturbs me, yeah, if I may. Uh, clearly, I'm allowing you carte blanche. In the door, the juice area, you have <laughs> one big bottle of uh, expensive organic orange juice. Very and good stuff, that. Very good stuff. Uh, and right next to it, as if yep. you grab it to drink it like juice, is a carton of beef broth. Like right next yes. to it, like like they were meant to be together. I don't know why this grosses <laughs> me out so much, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe because it's disgusting. I don't know. Now, here's the thing. The beef broth I got for something really specific, but I'm pretty sure it's still in there. It's not going to ever get used again. I used it. I don't. It's not a typical thing. But once you open it, it says refrigerated. So, yeah, uh, yeah. This is. I should have. I really should have staged a photo. I, I followed your your yeah. commands to the to the letter. Some people shouldn't follow them, but you did. Yeah, I did. And, I did. And I'm here we are. Okay. So now this is. There's a big story there, there at the bottom. On the bottom the, of the door. The, okay. The bottom of the door. There's all of that junk. Is. Four of those are iced coffees, which I think is the most disgusting stuff in the world. Yeah. That somebody somebody brought a, a student. You know, I coach out of a part of my home, and students will bring me things, and they go in the fridge and they just sort of stay there. And I really ought to do something about it. But I do ah. feel it at, the, at least the thing that separates this from my fridge at college is that there there is not like a gasket of fucking grossness around everything so that i feel no. pretty good about no it's definitely clean i mean it almost looks like you know what it looks like it looks like it was staged like uh like on a set of like you know like a rich single guy <laughs> well listen like, the, th- the thing i'm great at is eggs and the eggs are there the english muffins there uh that's a critical element oh do you make a good uh, bre- breakfast sandwich so one of the things I learned in, during lockdown that I never did prior to lockdown is I learned how to make a proper McDonald's egg McMuffin, which is something that I, I missed. And, you know, during lockdown, I really went to town. Like I got, I have silicone rings to make the perfect sort of poached egg. And oh, I no it. way. And so, 
That's cool. Listen, the first thing that I learned how to cook is a good breakfast. I'm really good at eggs. And that is because, you know, you want to, if you really want to impress somebody who spent the night, you make them an excellent breakfast in the morning. Ah, there's an, there's an ulterior motive. There is an ulterior motive. That's it. So it may not necessarily be Sam in the sheets, but in the morning you are going to be well fed at the very least. Well, Ben, I think I need to have an intervention with you. Yeah. I think you need to treat yourself the same way you treat these people that stay over. Oh. You should have all different kinds of foods for all different kinds of meals. Not just the breakfast burrito for the flu. The breakfast. Not just the. Uh, <laughs> Fucking floozy. Listen, man, uh, she really likes, she really likes a breakfast burrito. But that's right. That's absolutely what that shredded the, cheese is doing up there. Oh, it's my God. It's got to be from a breakfast burrito. I think it's Egg McMuffin. We keep calling it a breakfast burrito. No, no, no. Egg McMuffin's a special thing. Oh, okay. So the girl that you're dating will get the Egg McMuffin. The floozy gets a breakfast burrito to go. (laughs) (laughs) You've got like perfect to-go containers for them. Here, no. No, I'll walk outside. I'll give it to you. There it is. Enjoy. (laughs) Wait, so take me through. So I love that you have the silicone rings. That's such a nerdy, fun detail about you. No, I have it down to a science, man. Do I need to spend the night with you to have one of these egg McMuffins? I am. I do. No. Two, I live two blocks away from you, but if, if that's what it takes, <laughs> I will. I will be glad to make you uh, uh, an egg McMuffin. But I will say that I've tried it with really good boar's head cheese, and I and I. It, you have to use a shitty craft single for it to taste just oh. right. A hundred percent. I co-signed with you on that. You've got to. It it doesn't work any other way. Kraft singles have a very, very high fat content, which is why when they melt, they don't like fall apart. It just kind of melts nicely. And it's like, it almost almost spoons the egg. Oh, no, no, no. I've got it. So you get the egg into the silicone ring. Also, you use, it's the only thing I I have. I have Pam. It's the only thing I use Pam for is the egg McMuffin. Mm -hmm. Um, But you spray the silicone ring. You crack the egg just so you make you use the shell to make sure that the yolk gets cracked. You put a little bit of water on the outside of it. You've already got the muffin toasting. If you're doing more than one, you got to toast them in the oven. Uh, but then you get that out, and then the timing of the building is essential to the quality of the thing. What are you a fucking short order cook? Do you live in a Waffle House? What's happening here? This is I'm talking about lockdown, right? We all lost our minds during lockdown. <laughs> and one one of the crazy things I did was learn how to make a, a Mac Daddy OG English muffin. Yeah, you perfected it though. It's like like like, Re, like Renoir trying to perfect the, you know, a, a still life. You were like, "No, this is this is my masterpiece." So, the perfect English muffin, again, it all comes down to timing. You put the cheese down on one side of the toast first. Okay. You set the egg on the cheese, and then you put the uh, the Canadian bacon on the other side, and then you put the cheese on top as you assemble it, and then you wrap it in parchment paper and let it sit for three minutes. Whoa! You do the wrap. Yeah, you got it. It was the missing ingredient. Wow. And again, this is the mania of being in lockdown and figuring out what you can make that is hitting the pleasure center and yet you can order it from yummy.com because i was opposed to instacart for some uh, reasons wait hold on first of all show me on the doll where instacart touched you second of all (laughs) that is high level egg and cheese sandwich right there and it's it's funny i remember reading an article in the New York Times where I think they were trying to recreate the perfect egg and cheese and it didn't happen. And then like they realized that that's the move is like when you get an egg and cheese in the bodega, they wrap it in parchment paper, then aluminum foil, and then you take it to where you got to go. But while that's happening, there's a steaming. There's it's alchemy. Steaming. Yes. And yes. that steaming was the missing link that no one could yes. figure out. I can't believe I... I arrived at that independently. It's the food version of how, like, uh, of of penicillin being created. It was completely a mistake. The no one yeah. knew that that's what it was. But yeah, that is the steam, man. That's the missing link. Well done. You say parchment and tinfoil. 
what I remember from the New York delis because I spent the 90s in New York and my God, those egg sandwiches. But what I remember about that is they have that special kind of paper that's foil on the outside and parchment on the inside, but it's really thin. You know, it's funny. Whenever people ask me, what's your type, Dan? What are you into? I say foil on the outside, parchment on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I I would have pegged you as that. Absolutely. (laughs) Just from from afar. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, if I have to get pegged to get one of those English muffins. <laughs> it can it can be done. It can be done. <laughs> All right, let's go quickly into your freezer. I will tell you, I don't normally go into the freezers, but you and I have something in common here. Yeah. Uh, and I thought I had to, to bring it up. We ah. both have these bougie-ass uh, frozen wild blueberries that are fucking expensive but delicious. Fucking great. They're yeah. great. Not only are they great, my puppy goes nuts for them. She loves them. Wow. Ben is so rich, he feels he feeds his dog my treat meal. <laughs> Wait, she I, loves them. I want to look them up. What is that? What is it called? What are they called? They're like frozen wild blueberries from Maine. Oh, yeah. Wyman's. That's what they're called. Wyman's, yes. But they're magnificent. They're so goddamn expensive, but they're so good. Um, all right, man. Listen. We have we got work to do. Unfortunately, this is not like a queer eye for the straight guy where I'm going to come in and, and fix everything up. I just shame you and then leave you be. <laughs> well, no, but it's funny because I've been in thinking about this and sort of knowing and I'll be on my walk and I've been listening. I've been slowly digesting your podcast. and I keep going. What the hell have I got myself into? This is he's going to ruin me and I'm going to have nothing to show for it. No, but I have a defense. Either way, I think in this conversation, we're going to get to why my refrigerator looks like it does. I think we will. Well, I mean, there's no time like the present. Speak. Uh, Here, I'll defend myself. And I wonder what your listeners might make of this. But the thing about me and my journey with food is that I was from 19 until 40, a chain smoker. Mm. Uh, and I mean, a cha- two and a half, three packs a day for 20 years. No way. I remember when I was in my early 20s, and, and I didn't even understand the trespass that this represented. I, I know it now, but I would go out with my grandfather when he lived in New York at the same time, maybe once every other month to Smith and Walensky, and he would order whatever he would order, and then I would get the steak au poivre. Well done. Oh, boy. At Smith and Walensky. And my grandfather never made me feel badly about it. He never, I assume he must have gotten looks. I didn't understand what a sin it was until I was 40 years old. I didn't get that because I couldn't take, I couldn't taste anything. Right. But but so a lot of my food habits, my my at-home food habits were centered around, you know, what's the utility of food? The utility of food is, is making sure I get a second date, you know, and when I quit smoking was right at the time that the Pikey opened and my friend, Chef Ralph Johnson, ran that kitchen. And he was the first chef that I knew firsthand and that I trusted. So when I quit smoking, mm-hmm. my palate changed, my willingness to try new things changed. The last decade of cuisine for me versus the first 40 years of my life. It has been an entirely different world and things that I would never do, you know, starting with something as simple as, as a carpaccio or a tartare, I would never, I wouldn't touch it. Right. But the other thing that's changed since I quit smoking is my career changed to a degree that I, I've started to have gigs that have me living in uh, foreign locales for extended periods of time. And it has become to me an essential element of not of knowing a culture in a way that i didn't quite understand it before what the food the food Uh is as is as important as any other element uh, of knowing where you are seeing the food that they value what i'm gathering is that food wasn't the most important thing for you because you didn't have taste buds to taste the food and then like someone who was blind and was healed by the lord and savior jesus christ you yeah. could finally see, and now you were like, OMG, uh, you're like a kid. You're like a kid who gets to discover these things for the first time again. Yes, on all counts. 
And the, the, the thing I'll, the one step further that I'll take it because I, I've now come to know so many people who have chefs in their lives. And I don't, I'm not talking about people that have private chefs in their lives. And certainly I know th- them as well. Humble brag right there. Just saying humble brag. <laughs> How I have friends, that on? I have friends, friends with private, private chefs. chefs. It's not oh, a big okay, deal. We don't have to, we don't fine. have to talk about it, but just know that I have friends <laughs> with private chefs. <laughs> I I also have friends who are private chefs to people who have private chefs. So I'm on both I'm on both sides of that coin. Yeah. But uh, but the but having a chef, having somebody who knows food in your life, I think that you trust is as important as having a doctor that you trust is a, any any it's an important feature in in your life. You definitely put all of your trust uh in in like one place at a time. You're like a one you you don't cheat. You do not cheat on your restaurant. You're a loyal guy. I mean, I usually have like three or four in rotation, but I feel like I feel like they'll be like, you know, 40 percent, 20 percent, you know, what's 60 plus and then a 40 percent. Yours are like 90 percent horses and then 10 percent other in my in what I see. You're there every night. I'm going to give you 80 percent horses. You're there 80% of the time. Okay, still, that's that's an interesting number. So tell me, what is it about that? Why does someone become, I'm not even going to call you a regular. Why does someone become a hyper-regular? Assuming it's it's not some profound pronounced mental illness of some sort. It is the, the, the what it is has been for me, is a, it's a bit of, of uh, again, with my work, I've been fortunate enough that I do a lot of travel. And I did a, a gig for the better part of five years that was in New York. And I would go away and come back and go away and come back. And you accuse me of highfalutin. I'm, I'm going to salute again and say that there is something meditative, restorative, something common to me. I have in the past linked it to my sort of theory of a party, which is when you go to a party, you have the option of walking around the party all night and sort of going from group to group to group to group to group or my preference find a seat you like and sit in it and the party will eventually make its way around to you oh that is that is a confidence that i don't have i am like a little gnat when i go to a party i'm like buzz around here now buzz around there and oh no that person i don't think they like me i'm gonna buzz around over here and then i end up uh in the uh pantry with the door closed and the lights off crying in the corner (laughs) well yeah see next time just start in the closet crying (laughs) see (laughs) and eventually everybody else is going to end up in there with you and you're going to feel like you're going to feel great comforting me and saying we're never inviting this guy to our party again well, that's possible as well. Why are why are all why are all the clothes drenched in tears? What's going on here? It takes a certain amount of confidence, though, to have that mentality. And it's funny because that that is kind of what you are at horses. Like you're a beacon of comfort for all of us too. On the other side, because I know when I walk into horses, I know the staff now, but they're busy. If you're there, I'm beelining for you because it's like, oh. My emotional support human is here. So let me start here, and then I can venture out from here. You, your search for familiarity uh, also brings a familiarity for me, which is why, uh, why you hold such a, a comforting place in my heart. That makes me really happy. There was a, an interval during the pikey days where a, a plaque was set at my seat with my name on it. Oh, boy. It got torn up one thanksgiving by someone who clearly was not a fan of me i'm sorry about that okay you were getting all the attention no one looked at me <laughs> i took a, i took a photo of it and sent it home to my family in boston and the response from uh, my mother i will not forget which was benjamin not since my grandson will's photo was put up on the wall of buff's pub in newton center have i been so proud of my progeny. <laughs> oh, my God. That is hilarious. Are you Irish? Is that like going to Harvard for, no. for a Jew? Like- no. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, not, I'm a mutt. My, 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 mom, my mom's mom is a Sicilian, and my, my mom's dad is a, is a Russian Jew. Oh, okay. Uh, got it. So, as I like to say, Jewish father and a, and a Catholic mother. So, uh, 
I, I know guilt very well. Yeah. You, you get double teamed. Yeah. You oh, yeah. The, no. the DP, the DP of guilt. So when somebody tries to guilt trip me into something, I'm like, you know, you got to come uh, <laughs> more correctly than that. You got to come correct. I love a good breakfast sandwich, so let's find out how they got to our table in the first place. The first breakfast sandwich appeared in 19th century East London and was sold to factory workers. This initial form of breakfast sandwich consisted of fried eggs, meat, and at times, cheese. The portable breakfast was convenient and filling for a grueling day at work in a factory, and this breakfast trend traveled all the way over the Atlantic to the U.S. during the Industrial Revolution. Fun fact... Denver's local breakfast sandwich variation has eggs mixed with ham, green pepper, and onion. Famed food writer James Beard hypothesized that this variation may be a product of the nostalgia of the Chinese railroad workers who longed for egg foo young, a fluffy omelet-like dish made from eggs scrambled with veggies. The craving for convenience exploded in the 1950s, and the breakfast sandwich's place in history was cemented when a McDonald's franchise owner, Herb Peterson, Invented the Egg McMuffin in the early 1970s. In 2021, the Egg McMuffin celebrated its 50th anniversary. Americans proved their appetite for this particular egg sandwich in 2015 when McDonald's bought a staggering 5% of all eggs produced in the United States. So I'm going to get to the questions that I love asking every guest. Yeah, okay. I forgot. This is, I didn't prepare these. Oh, my God. Hopefully, it's a little more prepared than your fridge was. Oh, shit. Can I swear? Yes. You, yes, okay. you, you may. What is your earliest fucking food memory? Wow. Um, the two popped to mind immediately. But I guess the, 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 there's a good one and a bad one. The good one is, is the first time my grandmother took me, I think, when I was seven years old, to Benihana's in New York Fun for my, for my birthday. And whatever it was, maybe it was an onion volcano, but whatever it was that I saw there, I thought was just magnificent. That's a really good one. And I feel like Benihana might not be my, my earliest food memory, but I definitely remember it as a kid. Like, it's emblazoned in my head. That should be their ad. Like, Benihana, create your kid's earliest food memory. <laughs> And you know what? That could be their ad. Although, here's the thing. I remember what their ad was. What was it? Benihana, watch your fingers. <laughs> They're about to get cut off. Well, this is, so this has to be 1979 in New York City. They had a billboard that said, every meal's a show and every show's a meal. Oh, that's better than mine, which was keep your fingers away from the hot the Have hot you burned oven, yourself the hot on, the, on the stove? On top? The stove? No, I don't think so. But it's like I was always in constant fear of like some oil splattering, a splattering of oil. I I don't know what that says about me. Probably nothing good. But (laughs) you don't want to operate from a place of fear if you can avoid it. (laughs) Yeah. You want to go into Benihana guns (laughs) a-blazing. Ben, when he goes, he just walks in in slow motion, punches the first person you see, and then sits down. (laughs) What? Wait, what was the second one? You said there was there was another memory. Well, no, because when it popped into my head, there was a kid I went to grade school with named Byan, and I went over. His mom or dad was a beekeeper. There were bees there. She put out dinner that was clearly very carefully prepared, but all of it it was I hadn't I don't think I'd ever seen brown rice before. Like all the things were there was oranges and things that shouldn't have oranges in them. Like everything was just disgusting to where was me. This? Where was this? This is some, somewhere in Newton, Massachusetts, or oh. outside of Newton, Massachusetts. But I just remember her withering at the dinner table and saying, so Ben's a picky eater. <sighs> and uh, yeah, I, I'm actually going to bring this up in therapy this week because it's, uh, it's, that hits me really hard just now, just hearing <laughs> it out of my own. But she called me a picky eater. Wow. Her food, her food sucked. So, yeah, that I remember too. Yeah, wait, shots so, fired. What? What's her name? Hopefully, yeah. she's listening right now. Bayan's mom, B I O N. Oh, Bayan. Oh, Bayan. I thought your fucking Boston accent was like going nuts, and you were saying Byron, but you were like, <laughs> yeah, his name was Bayan. 
Byron is my middle name. It's my grandfather's name. I'm not going to fuck up Byron. I you, love you your think? your accent is like if Fenway Park became a human being. <laughs> if a duck <laughs> tour, if the duck tours could talk. <laughs> that's because you've seen me with drinking me. I think a lot of people don't even hear it. I think when you start talking about your childhood, it comes out a little more, which, you know, that makes that makes sense. My Long Island accent will come out more when I'm reminiscing as well. So. If I ever at where on Long Island did you did you grow up? I grew up in Great Neck. I know Great Neck. Great Neck is not unlike Newton. It, it's got there's a lot in common. Sea Cliff, which is right next to Great Neck. Uh, my uncle Nino used to live in Sea Cliff. Hey, Uncle Nino from Sea Cliff. That's definitely Uncle Nino from Sea Cliff. Yeah. Sicilian side. He's in construction. Yes. He's an opera singer. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, I totally racially profiled incorrectly there. <laughs> Well, Italian opera singers are also a bit of, you know. Yeah, they're usually from fucking Italy, <laughs> not from fucking Long Island. The Italian Long Island, they're not like the, the guys going to the Jersey Shore and not fucking singing, uh, you know. Ni- Nino Luciano was from Sicily. He's definitely Italian. Wow. What is your death row meal? So let's think of a good reason for you to be on death row. You're at Smith & okay. Walensky. You order your steak au well done, and the waiter actually snickers, and... You say, what the, f- what are you fucking snickering at? He's like, hey, sorry, no one really orders it. Well done. And you say, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Let me ask you. You think this knife is sharp enough to cut through this well done steak? Let's find out. And you just fucking start shivving this guy because you just can't take the humiliation. And, and then you yell, I'm not a picky eater over his dead <laughs> corpse. And, the, and that gets me to prison? Now you're in death. Not prison. You're on death row, bro. Oh my what God. is your death row meal? How, do I get more than one course? Yeah, you can course it out. Okay, because we're, we're going to start with two dozen Wellfleet oysters. Wait, what are the Wellfleets? Are they East Coast? Absolutely East Coast. Wellfleet, Massachusetts. Great oh, finest okay. oyster finest oyster on the planet. Perfect balance of, of uh, what I like. You know, the salinity is just right. They're not, they're not too sweet. They're not too creamy. They taste like the Atlantic. They are bright, and I could eat a thousand of them. How do they compare to blue points? Because that, to me, is what a blue point is. A blue point, to me, has a good balance. Blue points, to me, are they're served so old, so they're so freaking gigantic. At least the yeah. ones that I got uh, on Long Island, which is where they're native to, right? But like, you go to Fisherman's, Fisherman's Wharf. They're just too big for me. They're big, yeah. like they're just big and plump, and I don't mind big. But big and plump, it's just like it's just a lot. Are we still so talking I'm, about are we still talking about oysters? Yeah, we're talking about blue points. <laughs> but the thing is, when people say an oyster is a certain size, I'm like, no, it's served at a certain size. You leave an oyster alone, it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Like a kuma a kumamoto oyster can be a big as fuck? Yeah. No way. That's my it's my understanding. You're from uh oyster country. I've had well fleets of all manner of size, and the size is a function of age. It's it's as is true with lobsters as well. I think it's true with almost all self shellfish. Um, yeah, but the but as long as we're talking oysters, my favorite subject. The very important thing to do with any oysters, you have twelve. They're going to almost always be served with lemon, and uh, you're going to sometimes cocktail sauce, sometimes a mignette, and certainly horseradish. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing I would encourage anybody to do is the first oyster, don't put anything on it. Don't put lemon on it. Don't put anything on it. Mm. Just have the oyster. Pro tip. It'll tell you a lot about a lot of things. I love that. So what are you tasting for? You're tasting for the freshness. You're tasting for the brininess. The brininess, the freshness. There's another thing, which is, not really often talked about, which is the silt content. How well shucked are they is also something that you're going to learn, although that doesn't that doesn't change whether you put stuff on it or you don't. But some places will shuck them perfectly, and you can just slide them right in. Other places the, where the mistake tends to happen is on the bottom cut, the, the, the cup cut, they'll, they'll still be some sinew in there, and then you are taking yeah. back a, a blue point. You can't get the thing out, and it becomes a whole freaking mess. Can I can I just pause you for a second? Uh, of it, course, of course. It's, it's going to tie into something. I learned how to shuck oysters when I was interning at the Spotted Pig with Ralphie, the chef from the Pikey. 
Did you uh, know Ralph when he was at Spotted Pig? I did. We I was an intern at Spotted Pig for a couple summers, and um, he was such a delight in the kitchen. He was one of the best people, one of my best teachers. But that's where they taught me how to shuck an oyster. And let me tell you, it ain't easy, precisely because of the silt part that you're saying. It's so easy to get little pieces of sand or whatever um, if you're not if your knife isn't constantly being cleaned and uh, it, it, it's a, it takes a, a lot more finesse than you think. And then also you have to, like you said, you have to uh, cut the bottom that that little the part that's connected to the bottom and then you have to f- they would make us flip the oyster within oh, the shell. Oh, smart. That's yeah, smart. so just to like double check that you did it. That's so you know before it goes to the customer, you know that that thing is good to go. That's smart. Yeah. I, that's a very smart thing to do. Another thing that people make the mistake of is when they put it on crushed ice. If that ice touches that oyster meat at all, you've ruined the oyster. Wow. Because it's still alive right there. You freeze it and you are completely changing the character of the flavors. You're completely changing the character of, of, of the bite. I feel like uh, I'm picturing you explaining this whole monologue to the warden uh, for your death row meal. Oh, I forgot I'm on death row. <laughs> and he's like, oh he's like, God. sir, sir, I'm going to get you the oysters, but fuck, now I've I got to get the ice right? <laughs> okay, so I'm on death row. I've gone through my 24 well fleets. And then I guess, I mean, I probably would want to extend things as much as possible. So I would probably go with, let's say, my salad. Why don't we go with, I think, one of the best salads I've had in a very long time, which is the Caesar at Horses, which is a mm. magnificent, magnificent salad. Endive. Endive, which you don't think is going to work. The endive you think is going to leave it too bitter, but be, the counterpoint of the dressing is balanced impeccably, and you end up with a really full-rounded flavor. Yeah, and it doesn't. T- it doesn't taste like a Caesar can. Uh, a Caesar is one of those things, by the way, that I think. Do you do that when do you have like a goat? If you're trying out like a Chinese restaurant for the first time, do you have a, a an order that that lets you establish whether or not this is a, a finer or less fine establishment based on the quality of it? Now I'm picturing the warden being like, "Sir, this is not a Q and A. I just need to take your order." For the death row meal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yes. Look, obviously, yes. I think, you know, if you're in a restaurant that skews French, their omelet is going to be the telling thing, how they make their yes. omelet. Um, I think that, oof, I don't know. That's a great question, though. Like, what is the litmus test meal, the litmus test yeah. dish? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What were you going to say? So for Chinese restaurants. Of Chinese, my theory is hot and sour soup is very telling of the quality, you know, how much cornstarch mm. is in there, how much, you know, and as a younger man, I would say General Tso's, but I think that's always disgusting now. I, I don't like General Tso's really? chicken anymore. I, I don't like Sos. it. I'm too, I'm too good for it now. Yeah. Now that he stopped no. smoking, his, Listen, his taste buds are all bougie. He can't have General as, Tso's As anymore. a smoker, General Tso's is the, is, that actually breaks through the, the cigarette <laughs> in just a perfect kind of way. In fact, you haven't lived unless you've, had a lit cigarette while you're eating General Tso's. That's really the proper way to do it. Wait, were, did you? would you smoke your cigarette while eating Chinese food? Dan, I would go to a friend's house who he loved Cuban cigars. And I would have, I would, I would enjoy a Cuban cigar with him. And we're talking a very expensive Cuban cigar. Another uh, humble brag, bougie thing to say, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, but I would get halfway through the cigar and I would put it out so I could have a cigarette. And then I'd finish the cigarette and I'd go back and I'd finish the cigar. Wow. That's commitment. That's commitment to it's, the game. It's, it's, uh, I'm very glad. It's, I'm now 11 years without one. But uh, I, was, wow. I, I, I was the finest cigarette smoker you've ever met. Oh, shit. I forgot. Uh, no, sir. We, we're sorry. Uh, we, there's a stay of execution now. The warden said he's tired of hearing your 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 menu, and he's just going to let you run go free. <laughs> You're not on death row anymore. <laughs> no, because I wanted to. Because there's one of the most perfect morsels I've ever had in my life, and I've tried to get other places to to make it. Give it to me. It's a place in Boston 
in Back Bay, but they presented, and I don't even, I can't even tell you what the drizzle was, but the drizzle was everything. But it was four pieces of beef carpaccio with four perfectly, and when I say perfectly, I mean it, perfectly fried oysters in the center of the carpaccio. When you, you ate it with your hands, you sort of picked up the carpaccio around the oyster, made a bit of a dumpling. And I, it's blowing my mind thinking about it right now. It's so good. That's very fun. It's interesting. The Koreans actually have a dish um, where they will slow roast a pig shoulder and they'll take lettuce cups and they'll put a little bit of rice a little bit of the pork and a raw oyster inside and then whatever sauce and eat that. The oyster with land animal, surf and turf. Oh, baby. Yeah. That is a sexy yeah. surf and turf. So I'm sorry. Caesar salad's going out. Okay. Warden, I need the carpaccio with the fried oyster. So oh, now the, that's... The, oh, sorry. The warden has died seven years ago. Wait a minute. Don't I get, I get an entree <laughs> and a dessert before I have to die, right? The warden... Is no longer amongst us. The warden sat in the chair himself and electrocuted himself. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, fine. I'll just hurry through. Then I'd do an applaud, uh, but I'd get it done rare, medium rare. You'd get the, the Smith & Walensky applaud to remember those grandpa to, dinners? In, in, cool. in, honor of, in honor of Malcolm. That's cool. And then I'd end it with the, the, the finest dessert known to man. Give it to me. Creme brulee? Oh, okay. You know what's so funny? My finest dessert known to man is also like a basic dessert. I'm a huge yeah. fan of basic desserts. For me, I would go with a tiramisu. There you go. But you know, it's funny. The basics are where I think food gets elevated. Oh, yeah. And 100%. Because anybody can make a creme brulee. Anybody can make a tiramisu. Anybody can make an omelet to, to a point. Yeah, But the distance between something, when you turn something that somebody has eaten every week of their life or every month of their life, when you make that same set of ingredients into something that can bring a tear to your eye and food absolutely can make you cry. I've had it happen more than once. It, you know that you're in the hands of that was of, I of, hold on chef. I, that was because I did I did punch you in the nuts while you were eating that burger so that I don't know if that counted I was I was drunk I was hammered Listen, I'm sorry that's 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 uh, that was just a light misting around the eyes that's not quite a, <laughs> it's not quite a tear what is the best high-end meal you've ever had define just define high-end fancy highfalutin the finest meal was in France, was in Paris. Mm -hmm. That was a seven-course meal, but that was a proper seven-course meal that was financed by uh, still one of my closest friends who had been working. It was our sophomore year at University of Chicago, and uh, we were in Paris, and we had this meal, and uh, it's going to make me sound like an awful American, but I guess I am, but we finished the meal with coffee and cigars, and then we walked to the Eiffel Tower. And this was in the days when you could get uh, right up to the Eiffel Tower. And it was surprised that there were sort of um, uh, vagrants who were sleeping underneath it. And it was this sort of dichotomy of where we had been to where we were, and sort of the beauty. And then I remember you told me the story before. Why was it again that you kicked the vagrants with the cigar in your mouth? You said it was like it just added to the to you know you needed to show them who was boss or something. No, it was. I th I think it was some sort of crack about the Alamo, and I was told that's the wrong kind of racism. You're doing it entirely wrong. But I wonder about this. You know, Sting said once I heard him at a convocation from a Berkeley College of Music, and he said this thing about music that music the longer he spends on it, he understands more and more. And he might've been quoting somebody himself, but he said that music is really how we frame silence. Mm. And I think that's an interesting thought, but I wonder, isn't food how we frame things too on a certain, like I think meals 
anchor themselves to you because of the quality of the meal, but I think they also anchor you to the people that you shared that meal with. Right. And they anchor, they anchor you to, to the place you were when you all shared that meal. So forever, that was me and my friend Ben and my friend Alana and the three of us. All of us remember that meal. We'll always remember that meal. But what was the name of the restaurant? That's See, I, guess. I guess you don't remember that meal. I guess you don't remember that meal. <laughs> you think that that's what makes for the memory of a meal is that you remember the restaurant? <laughs> I certainly remember what we ate. No, I agree with you. I always say life is just dead time between meals. But I that's agree. Fair. I agree. That's that uh, the anchoring quality of a good meal is like nothing else. Uh, no but question. speaking of which, best low end meal you've ever had. Is it going to be your egg McMuffin? I think that's okay. The way you how could homemade ever be a low end meal? I mean, low end can be a homemade thing. That's okay. Oh, there's no challenge. There's no challenger. Okay, give it to me. Done. Harold's chicken in Chicago. Harold's chicken. Done. The what best. The f- what the hell is Harold's chicken? What the hell is Harold's chicken? Hey, hey, you can't shame me on my own podcast. Harold's Chicken Shack is a uh, icon of Chicago cuisine, an icon of Chicago, particularly South Side Chicago cuisine. But there is one I haven't been to it yet. But apparently, and we can do this together, there is one apparently that has opened up on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay, you would go to Harold's Chicken Shack, and you would get a half white or half dark bird. It would come with two pieces of Wonder Bread. You could get uh, hot sauce that was really hot, barbecue sauce, hot or barbecue or both. And you could get, uh, <laughs> and it came with these soggy fries. <laughs> and you had to pay through bulletproof glass. And there was a bulletproof glass carousel that would spit like a lazy Susan. And you'd get your order and your RC cola and you'd take it back from the dorm and you'd open that thing up and hold, you'd take the, you'd rip the chicken apart and you'd take the chicken and the french fries and you mush it into the bread and then you douse it into the hot sauce and oh my god jeez so good it sounds like it sounds like you went to war with that chicken i love it um well i don't know what your relationship is with the sauce anymore i was gonna ask what your favorite drunk food is but you and you and i would drink a a lot at horses you'd always have a, a beer a pint there and uh lately that pint has been replaced with uh a sparkling, of, no, a fake beer. I have changed my relationship with alcohol. Mm. I have been sober through, well, California sober from uh, right. all year long, with the exception of uh, some wonderful drinks in Liverpool. And as of last weekend, a lot of wonderful drinks in Tombstone, Arizona. Right. Uh, you are you are you are just on mushrooms twenty four seven now. But now, oh yeah, that's a whole other. <laughs> yes, no, is your iPad dripping? Because mine is is like I don't know if I need to call somebody. Um, so what is your what was or what is your favorite drunk food? Well, if I'm in New York, it's it's a it's a diner or it's an egg sandwich. But my absolute go to drunk meal, without question, you can't get anything because it was a Greenblatt deli. Oh, yes. Wait, was it the pastrami sandwich there? It was the number five triple decker on sourdough. What was that? Swiss cheese, Russian dressing, three pieces of sourdough, corned beef, and pastrami. And that was, I think, $22. Yeah. it it (laughs) It was worth $22. We had a theory that around the high holidays, Greenblatt's got the, their freshest <laughs> product. So particularly at the end of fast, uh, the food was at its finest. And so we would get there long before the sun went down. <laughs> so, oh my that God. We could get, so we could get first crack on the fresh, on the fresh food. So these poor people are fasting and you're like, nah, I'm not fasting. I just want to have, take the best cuts that these Jews, yeah. are gonna, these Jews are going to come running in for. <laughs> yes. Yes. We would jump. We would jump the line. Oh because my <laughs> God! You know what? It, yeah, we don't accept you anymore. You don't. You're not a Jew. I'm out. I'm, I'm out of the tribe. You're out. Your mom's mom's I, mom's whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, son of a bitch! It's I, I hate to do that. What is your hangover cure? 
egg sandwich. Oh, is it cuisine or what actually? Works? Oh, wait, no. What actually works? What was it? Well, I was a bouncer for a long time. And I, and that, if you're a bouncer in New York, that means you're sober until 4.30 in the morning. And then and then you need a drink. And so you go out to, to after hours and you're drinking from 4.30 to probably, you know, 8 a.m. And uh, the, your hangover starts at 6 p.m. The hangover cure that absolutely works is Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine. Plus cold medicine? Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine. Why not just regular Alka-Seltzer? Because you don't have the painkiller. Oh. So you plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine. And that is like mainlining. You are right as rain in about 10 minutes. Wow. Pro tip. Pro tip. You're a waste of sobriety with those pro tips. Uh, listen, <laughs> you know, it's... it's Come back to the dark it's, side, man. It's how you, you. It's how you know... Everybody in Arizona has no idea that I'm sober most of the time. I That's certainly hilarious. was drinking like I was drinking like a professional uh, there. But for a meal on the other side of an awful night drinking red, I don't want eggs. Yeah, I it's diner food. I think is what I I go I maybe go to Mel's, maybe go to Norm's. Who is your favorite celebrity food personality? Currently or of all time? Besides Anthony Bourdain. It can't be Anthony Bourdain. I know who it is because I love watching him. I love his enthusiasm. It's Jacques Pepin. Oh, classic. That's probably my favorite one too. I love that guy. Although there's also, there's a Boston guy who does Asian food. Uh, Ming Tsai. I like like that he combines the kitchen with with street food and and, and there's sort of a, a tour factor. But bottom line, Jacques Pepin, the way he presents it, the way he talks about it, the way he includes his daughter, the, the, this whole sort of family, he makes he makes it so inviting. And when you watch his technique, it's clear this guy knows what he's doing. Hey, man, we have two things in common, okay? Expensive-ass frozen blueberries and Jacques Pepin. <laughs> ah, that's a win. Excellent. Desert Island food. You're trapped on a desert island. One food you're never going to get tired of. What is that food? It's got to be that egg sandwich. Well, no, let's presume that oysters are plentiful in the ocean. No, but would it be oysters? No, because I'm right on the ocean. I'm going to be able to get oysters. I'm going to, I'm going to get oysters. The, the, the sea is going to provide me oysters. I have no doubt of that. Okay. So I want, uh, I want something I can't get on a desert island on a desert island. You're, you're, you're finding loopholes here, which I don't know what I approve of, but I'll just let him slide. No, real uh, salt and buca. Veal saltambuca. Wow. You're never going to get tired of veal saltambuca? No, you know what? When you put it that way, I am. <laughs> that's like a, for those of you who don't know, that's like pounded out veal with prosciutto on the inside and then like yeah. cheese and then it's rolled up with basil and there's a... The first the first serving on the desert island of veal saltambuca, I'm going to think I, I hit the jackpot, but you're absolutely right. The second one, one I'm going to be like two bites into veal salt and buca, and I, I'm like, I think I'm mistake. done. I, I think I'm this done for the mistake. year. <laughs> this was a mistake. Okay, so I'm going to take oysters because I think it actually is oysters for you. Yeah, but I, but the thing about oysters is is if I'm thinking about survival, you're taking this too literal. Okay, you're going to be you, fine. you went you went through how you're I not. got on death row, and you're saying I'm taking this too literally. <laughs> You you think you're like auditioning for an episode of Alone, and I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> okay, fine. A ham and cheese omelet, a perfect ham and cheese omelet. Oh, okay. I'll never, I'll never grow tired of that. Yeah, that's a good one. Is there a food you can't stand eating? Yeah, it's a variety of food I can't stand eating. I don't like squash and squash varieties. Egg, eggplant, I'm okay with now. I didn't used to be, but squash, pumpkin. I, I don't mind the flavor. It's just the texture for whatever reason. Wow. Anything that, any sort of really sort of mealy kind of texture. How about zucchini? Still, zucchini's one of them. Yeah. Zucchini, again, if you put it in a ratatouille or something, I don't mind the flavors. I don't. But if you give me too much zucchini and it's cooked in a way that it's just too sort of soft and mealy, again, is the word I come to. Well, in the words of Bayan's mom, you are a picky, picky eater. Picky eater. Yeah. Well, that's the one I still haven't overcome. Squash. Squash. Um, my favorite question. Now, what is or what are your restaurant pet peeves? This is a good one. I'm a real stickler about a lot of things. You go to restaurants more than most people that I know. So this is a great question for you. 
well, I'm, this is not f- exactly food related. I am very unhappy when a check is requested and it doesn't come promptly. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I find that very irksome. Like if I, because sometimes I will ask for a check and the entree hasn't arrived yet. What? Sometimes I will. If I've got, if I've, if I, I would rather be, if I'm in a rush, I don't want to tell the kitchen I'm in a rush. Wow. But I want to be able to leave the moment I need to leave. When a kitchen or a restaurant supersedes their understanding of my time, (laughs) that, that's a pet peeve for me. Wow. If, if, if I'm asking for the bill, I want it when I ask for it. That's maybe a weird pet peeve, but that's a pet peeve of mine. But is that what, let me ask you at horses, which again, you're there almost every night. Do you pay the bill there or do you have a running tab? Well, here's a, there's a funny thing. There's a guy that at horses who, when I ask for the bill, it, it's always a freaking delay on the bill. And it, it and it, it's going for uh, like a month. It's pissing me off whenever I ask for the bill. It's like he's taking forever on the bill. What the fuck is? I asked for the bill. I want to go, and I'm getting you know righteous fury. Indignation is building in me about this affront to uh, you know. Again, you know my time better than my time, and I finally realized what he's been doing this whole time is he's been waiting to hear from management because he hasn't wanted to charge me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god amazing <laughs> and i'm sitting here feeling like a total jackass you're like cursing him and his family under your breath well yeah you never but you never know but do you have a standing tab do you have a standing tab there or no you pay every no i pay i pay i pay wait hold on they don't ben. they don't charge me like they charge everything. yeah but for someone who has your pet peeve is when the bill doesn't come on time you go to a regular restaurant almost every single night. Yeah. They love you so much. They'll do anything for you. Why don't you tell them, here's my credit card, leave a running tab, and at the end of the month, I'll pay everything. Or here's my credit card, automatically charge whatever 20% tip on, on everything, and just don't, don't ever bring me a bill. This could take your, your restaurant experience to the stratosphere. My restaurant experience is already to the stratosphere. I get treated very well where, where I go. And I'm I know. delighted by that. But we I'm can very slay. Delighted. We can slay your pet peeve. <laughs> well, but but no, because then then I would be the other pet peeve, which is which is over entitled. The, the, I I believe that I'd have to ask them, and I'm sure if I wanted to arrange something, I could get it arranged. But I do. I, I think that if when you're running a business like that, the closing the books at the end of each day is quite important. I think the people right. that forget their credit cards. Uh, and there seem to be people that do that chronically. I don't understand how those people do that. But um, Oh, that's because you don't drink alcohol anymore, and now the world is opening up to you. Your eyes are opening again. You're having Dan, a second eye opening. After you smoke cigarettes, you Dan. open your eyes. You're like, you're like, why are these people walking awkwardly when they leave the restaurant? Why do they seem to say, not be able to listen, walk in a straight line? You've seen me very drunk, and I, I, I think you might agree that, that my, my autopilot is is. is very very good, and the oh, really yeah. the very the very nice thing about being a uh, an aging heavy drinker, it used to be if I had a foggy memory of what I had done the night before, I had said something awful to somebody or I had done something regrettable or this. What I've learned in the last five years, if I have a foggy member memory of it, it's because I fell asleep at the bar. You know, it's an entirely right. different. <laughs> it's right. not right. Know, it's not anything to be proud of, but at least I haven't, you know, crushed somebody's spirit. So that's a better thing. Uh, silver linings. Uh, yeah. Ben, this has been delightful. Tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Big Ben Davis. I believe that that is also where I am on threads. First time mm-hmm. I've said that out loud. Wow. And you can find me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. X. X. <laughs> But I'm there at Tuda, T-O-O-D-A. And I haven't done anything with it yet. I don't know that I will do anything with it yet. But I am on TikTok at Benjamin Byron Davis. Well, that was not Um, a good sell for people to go follow you on TikTok. You're like, I don't even fucking know if this thing still exists, but I'm on TikTok. Follow me on TikTok and see the first time I make a stupid video as I intersect with the algorithm. 
that is going to destroy us all. I will say uh, uh, it's worth, uh, he's definitely worth a follow, but you should definitely go to Ben's Instagram. Uh, take a look at that beautiful mug that I get to look at every night when I go to horses and I open that door and, he, and I see that face and it puts a smile on my face all the time. Ben, thank you for, for being my emotional support human at horses. And uh, I hope to see you there very soon. Dan, I can't believe I've made it through alive. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, if I get a new refrigerator, I'll stage it and have a much better showing. But I, I hope I redeem myself. No, you, you don't change, okay? Stay the where you are. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.